0: And welcome back to The Game Pit. This is episode 94. I'm Sean and we're finally coming to the crescendo of our top 50 games of all time, Ronan.
1: We certainly are. Hello, Sean. And hello, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope you follow us through our number 11 to 50 games over the previous months. And here you're going to get our top 10s. Now, if you are someone who's been listening for a while to The Game Pit, I'm not sure there's going to be too many surprises in the leaders list today, Sean.
0: Not too many surprises, but I would actually say probably my top 10 is my most controversial. It's when I, I'm most me is in my top 10, Ronan. Well,
1: that's a worry.
0: Not
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I've banged on about all of these 10 games over our previous 93 episodes. So yeah, if you listen Roy, you might be able to list some of these down to the top of your head. There's a little challenge for you. Let's play along at home. Uh, in fact, I'm, for your Sean, I reckon I have only got an idea of three or four of them are. I'm not, really? I'm not fully fixed in.
0: Yeah. No? Oh, no. Maybe
1: I haven't been paying that much attention, I don't know.
0: You just don't care anymore. <laughs> the light's gone out of this relationship. <laughs>
1: Don't worry, Essen's rekindling it, it's
0: all good.
1: good. Right, shall we crack
0: on? Yeah, absolutely, and of course we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network, go there and to the Dice Tower itself, for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the episodes, we're on Podbean, Stitcher and iTunes, please feel free to give us a review and a like.
1: off with my number 10 game it is from 2007 it's a sci-fi themed card game from tom layman it is race for the galaxy it's a game in which you're attempting to get down planets and developments Uh, attempting to trade sometimes, you might be trying to get alien vessels, you might be going military and trying to conquer it's got almost endless combinations going on, it's a game which you very much might start one plan and then depending upon what cards you draw have to shift halfway through, adapt to what's going on, it's a game which every dozen times you're learning new strategies new tactics, new things to do it's a very interesting experience we had recently, we've probably paid it 50 or 60 times and we would kind of rushed through I feel like now and added the first and second expansion to the base deck and then I was teaching my daughter Eleanor and we cut it back to the base set again and my understanding of the base set and some cards which I feel like I've been passing over in the past 50 games is going oh that's no use because I was back to just that core set I was suddenly looking at them in fresh new light going oh hold on that can work like that and this can work like this and I'm still an absolute newbie at the game with that many plays under my belt, which suggests the depth and the breadth and just what a fantastic game Race for the Galaxy is. And that is my number 10 game of all time, Sean.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it crept into my top 50. And I think it's a game in which that I almost have to play it with Natalie at the moment because she's at the same level as me the only thing is I think if I play you and Rachel and in the past Chris Marling has talked about he's got hundreds of plays online etc he's on another level so I wouldn't be able to play the game with him so not always accessible unless you're at the same level but you can be at that
1: different level it's not a game that is ruined by someone being a bit better than you because you can kind of watch what they're doing, yeah, and you're still you doing can
0: kind of leech off them a little bit. No, but I feel like to to get the full enjoyment and be competitive in the game, I like to play with someone at like the same level. But that's that's a very minor criticism. I think it's a a fantastic game, and as you say, I'm I'm constantly finding new things to to try and do and new, new arcs to go off in.
1: I actually think it does sound racing, it's quite intimidating it's much easier to get someone to teach it to you for sure than to try to learn it from the rule book I don't think that the cards are that intimidating they all actually explain what they do on the card you just get a little bit of iconography to get used to and this whole idea that uh, sorry to contradict you on so early in the show this idea that you can't play with experienced players to me it's one of those games you can play with experienced players because you'll still be building your own tableau yeah you might not get all your cards out you might get to the 12 before they do you might be on 8 or 9 or 10 and you'll lose probably depending on unless you get a good card draw but it will be a learning experience and for me it's that is actually enjoyable in itself when i play with guys who've played hundreds of times and and maybe you know and then a third place out of four or a second place sometimes feels like a victory in itself to me and i feel like i'm getting better here i'm getting better at the game. i really love that progressing and feeling like i'm really digging deep into a game and that it it has that depth to dig into but anyway there you go my number 10 race for the galaxy
0: just quickly ronan you mentioned about playing the expansions i've heard some good things and bad things about the various expansions so is there anything that you like or dislike about the expansions
1: but so the way the expansions work guys if you don't know for race of galaxy there are three that came out and they can be put together with the base set and all work together the fourth and fifth expansion are both standalone so they mix in with a base set by themselves and have their own little thing going on uh i Played with the cards from the fourth expansion, but not the maze thing where you wander around. So, I can't really tell you much about that. I haven't touched the fifth one. And in terms of the first three, while we use the cards from the first two expansions, the first expansion brings in goals whereby the first person to get to such and such is going to score a number of points, or whoever's got the most of something, and you have to have more than the person who's currently holding the goal or the objective. And I just don't like them. And now I know that's probably lots of people do like them. For me, they just didn't add anything and they kind of falsely made certain strategies more effective in this game where I, I don't think it needed to. I think the strategies are all quite balanced. It was a one more thing to think about. Again, maybe it's a case of 200 games in, I'll love the goals, but 50 games in no it's just the cards that i've added to the deck and they were quite interesting and like i said it was interesting to take them out again and go back to base and then maybe add them in and see say see what different combos they're opening up i believe the deck is best balanced with all three in then there's the military is balanced up and stuff but i'm not the expert on that mate i like i say i'm, I'm quite the noob race for the galaxy which is my number 10 game of all time and sean your number
0: ten game. Here we go. Controversy number one. It's a Marmite game. I don't understand why. It's DC Comics deck building game from 2012. Matt Hira, Ben Stoll, Cryptozoic. Yep. So very quickly, I've talked about it in the past. You choose your hero. You've got a unique power. It's a deck building game with equipment, superpowers, and villains in the deck. You, your equipment and superpowers are pretty much your currency and you're looking to defeat supervillains. Why do I love it so much? Well, the most obvious one is I'm a huge fan of DC Comics. As you choose, I collected them as a child. I still collect them now. The artwork in this game is absolutely fantastic. It comes from the new 52 range of DC Comics. Absolutely stunning. I personally have never had a bad game with this. There's, not, there's nothing to have a bad game. In it. Yeah, you're not going to get many memorable games. Like You're not going to I oh, remember when you did that. But it's so quick. I don't really care. The theme, people say that oh, a bit of a disconnect with theme. I work it out in my own mind. Yeah, Superman using the Batmobile because Batman's helping him out because they're all part of, the, part of the Justice League. Happy days in my mind, and it really never outstays its welcome. Ronan, DC's deck-building game. Have you found it?
1: I quite like it. I enjoy the game. I think it's good. I think you're right. It's the perfect length for its weight. There's a massive variety in cards there's interesting things that happen the super villain turns over he attacks everyone you have to adjust to that I think they've bolted too much rubbish onto it with crisis and Co-op play and all sorts of other things that just didn't need to be there but the core DC the one or two base sets add a couple cards if you like I like it it's a good game I'll always play it if it's suggested we get it out sometimes you know that the kids quite enjoy it but to be a top 10 game for my taste it's just too light and it doesn't have I'm looking for either depth in the game to be top 10 or really memorable plays. And I think as we go through, maybe each game will fit into one of those two categories and it offers me neither of those. So it's a bit too vanilla to be the best of the best for me, but I'm definitely not one of the haters. And I know you love it and you love the theme a lot more than me. So I can understand that, you know, loving the theme will will always boost a game like
0: that. I mean, comics have played a massive part of my life and DC comics have been the biggest part of that. So there was always going to be something comic book related in and around my top 50. And I enjoy this game so much. I get so many plays and so many enjoyable plays and I'm never disappointed by it. So that's that's why it's there for me. That was my number 10 DC Comics deck building game. Roland, number nine.
1: Okay, going to the other end of the spectrum in terms of memorable plays and especially length although weight is disgustable my number nine 2013 from cory knizia and nikki valens it's eldritch horror Uh, every lobster con we tend to tell a eldritch horror story it's the game that for me is the best adventure game available i genuinely feel like i'm on an adventure i'm in the middle of the story I have enough agency that I feel like I'm making decisions, most turns anyway, if I'm not delayed or what have you, but between us as a team we are, and yet exciting, unexpected things are going to happen that I'm going to have to react to. There's exciting dice rolls, but there's some mitigation, there's a feeling of power, but not too powerful, you can always get hit down. My last game of it, we played it with the uh, Dark Pyramids expansion, we're going against the Dark Pharaoh, and the Sphinx came to life. And we had to get an artifact and kill the sphinx. Once we had kill the sphinx. Another beast came to life over in Arkham, and we had to try and get across there, but find a certain artifact before we got there. And it's a real race against time. And we were both working the next morning, and we carried on. All right, I was driving a little bit. We carried on till about two in the morning because it was genuinely so exciting and so close. And it was, oh yeah, oh, I need one more roll. And then as I got to fight the beast, one of Rachel's characters, because we tend, to, if we're playing two player, we we'll take two characters each, who had spells which would have assisted me in the combat, lost all their sanity in their encounter before the combat happened so I didn't get the backup I needed so then my character went insane so that was the one who had all the combat power. so that was it gone we lost but we could go back and say oh we should have done things in a different order or you shouldn't have been where a monster was or whatever it may have been Between us, at least we felt like what we'd done made a difference. And yet we had these fantastic stories coming out. I know I phoned Sean the next morning, all excited, going, oh my God, we had such a good game of Eljitch Horror last night. It was so funny. These cool things happened. It was all going on. And that's what I feel like with Eljitch Horror. Yes, it's very long. I understand that. I feel like people may be put off with it because of... Arkham Horror because that's got a lot going on and it's a lot harder to learn. I feel like Eldritch Horror is really accessible and easy to learn and you just crack in and you get on with it and you're having a laugh and for me it's that perfect experience
0: adventure game. I don't want to talk too much about it because (laughs) it may feature later in my top 10 but uh, yeah it's a strong choice. I actually thought that this would be higher on your list because you do get so excited. And quite often it's the highlight of your eSpawn is just the, the one game of this that we all play together. So I, I, I thought it was top five material for you.
1: My top five are all games that I rate as a 10. And to get a 10, actually, as opposed to what other people say, it has to be a perfect game. It has to be something really that I found amazingly special. The thing with Eldritch Horror is... I know that it's not perfect every time and I know that if you get a duff character and you don't get any improvements you can end up kind of bouncing from adventure to adventure and kind of well, I can't really do much while the more powerful characters are off doing stuff so it's not a perfect experience every time and it does run long so when I'm thinking about it I'm thinking it can't be a 10 it has got those little flaws to it. So it's a, it's the highest of, of nines, it's right right up there. So just that, that's all with Eldritch Horror is I mean it's my number nine game of all time. I absolutely adore it, but it's not perfect. So there you go. We're judging of the harshest off standards here. Sean, your number nine.
0: Right, so my number nine is is very much going into Euroland. It's Keyflower twenty twelve release, designed by Richard Brees and Sebastian Bleesdale. ...from R&D Games. Again, very quickly, because we've talked about this a lot... ...it's a bit for tiles using coloured meeples. You are going to add the tiles to your personal modular village... ...and there's elements of set collection, pick-up and deliver... ...and tile placement within the game. Why do I like this one so much? Is It's clever, it's challenging... ...there's genuine decisions seeded all the way through it... ...it's interactive, massively so... I think it scales well, but up to a point. I don't think I'd like to go above four players with this one because you do have to pay pay attention to what everybody else is doing on the table. And it, it does go up to six players. That seems a bit much for me. But two to four, wonderful. Loads of variety. You are getting loads of different tiles in. You're going to bring different things into your, your tableau every time. It looks great. And the cottage screens absolutely love it, love, it. love a good player screen. The cottages are beautiful. I love them. I think maybe you maybe need to play with it at the same sort of level, but again, maybe something that you can learn from others, but it can be very cutthroat, and that makes it more interesting for me. I love the bidding mechanism and the paying for actions, and this is a Euro with lots of working parts, and they all work seamlessly for me. So Keyflower is my number nine game of all time.
1: Yeah, slightly surprised. Yeah. It's a very strong game. <laughs> it is a very strong game. I wouldn't have picked it for your top ten. I'll be honest. It, it is a strong, thinky euro. If I was going to be ultra harsh on it, I would say that because you have to know the tiles and the tiles can be in other people's villages and you can use them and and send your meeples over they get to keep the meeple and use their building and that Uh, it's quite hard to keep an eye on everything that's going on and it's very hard to get the best combos and work out whether it's worth going there my meeples to come back here to do this uh, and the rest of it and the spatial element can be quite confusing with using the wagons what have you so this for me in terms of making the best decisions i sometimes feel the mechanisms getting in the way as opposed to my own stupidity getting in the way which is why it's not top level of euro games would it make my top 100 maybe but not top 10 material for those reasons and i didn't realize you love key so much sean
0: yeah i don't get it to the table as often as i'd like to uh, and even just doing this I, i've I've remembered that, like, I really need to play this one again. I got excited just, just writing the things that I enjoy about it. And whereas you think the mechanism's getting away, I think that's part of the puzzle. It's it's working your way around those mechanisms and making them work for you is part of the, the reason I absolutely adore this game. And, yeah, it's just, it's such a, a mind-bender. And I absolutely love it. And then when you throw that interaction in as well, I, we're kind of getting the best of both worlds for me so that's why Keyflower is my number nine game
1: okay my number eight game is from 2008 fancy flights i'm a christian t peterson eric m lang and nate french and it is a game of thrones living card game specifically the first time round because i own every card in it so i wasn't going to go again on the second time round. <laughs> Uh, if you've listened, you know that we're both big fans of Song of Ice and Fire. So the theme, bang, there you go, we're into it already. Also, I do go on quite a lot about the fact that I love games in which you're doing combos of cards, and you've got a range of cards, and you're trying to work out, okay, if I do this with this and move that one across there, then I can do that, and that is what Game of Thrones is all about. But it's it's ramped up a bit there are three different ways to attack in the game and you're having to attack and defend and be strong in all areas especially in this year when you first play you feel like you should be and the balance of power around the table in a f- perfect four player game is absolutely crucial and every person's move affects the whole balance of power around the table because they will be using cards to make an attack so they're not available for defense anymore and then the person they choose to attack will be using cards in defense and they're not available anymore usually but give or take a few keywords here and there and every time a move is made you're then having to recalculate in your head okay what's going on okay what are they doing oh they went in blue but they only went low in blue why do they do that oh maybe because they're waiting for this and you can see people make feints in order to get people to commit defenders to them do the big hit but if you go for a big hit and you're early in the turn order then the other people can pounce and attack you because you can take power of anyone it doesn't really matter who you beat as long as you're getting your power in of course the more power you have the more of a target you are and it feels like you are controlling a house In the Game of Thrones setting. And that you're all watching each other. You're ready to stab each other in the back. You don't want to commit too much. But if you don't commit. You're going to be in trouble. I've been able to make. Really cool thematic decks out of it, as well as the big six houses that are in it. I've got like a tally based Stark deck, and I've got a Wildlings deck, and a Nightwatch deck, and just a Mercenaries deck from Essos, and all sorts of different things that so, uh, a Kingsguard deck. And it feels like to me, I am playing within the theme, and that's a huge help. But all those different decisions, all that different balance, all that having to watch each other, it, my brain is firing constantly while I play this game, and I adore it absolutely adore it. I am aware that it's not the easiest teach and it's not the easiest to get your head around when you're first playing it. And people can sit there going, oh, what is going on? But once I think you get over the barrier or if you've really committed to going, right, let's play three or four games, really get my head around this. And even have people talk, you know, which is difficult, you know, because you're kind of almost wasting time but talk about the moves that are going on and say, okay, he's done that, he's done that, so therefore this has changed. Or she's just made that move, therefore she now has to do such and such doesn't have to has the option to and if she chooses not to well then there's all these other things about it's almost hard to explain that as you go because every move opens up multiple branching options but it's it's just wonderful once you get four people to know what they're doing sitting down it's mean you'll scream you'll cry you'll point your finger you'll accuse each other and then you'll move on because the next time around someone else will be the person annoying you it is the perfect game of thrones game for me and that's my number eight a game of thrones living card game first edition sean
0: well, I've had a bit of a love-hate relationship with this one. I I bought it, I played it, I got frustrated with it. I'll talk about that in a minute. I bought it again, got frustrated with it, and <laughs> I, I, after giving it away, I traded it away, and then I gave it to Ronan because he wanted to, to see these base decks and build more decks and what have you. So first off, I played it two players, a lot, only two players. And I found the two-player game to be a bit zero-sum. If one person got on top, they kind of just battered the other player. Now, I played it a four-player after trading it away. I played four-player. I think it was at your house right now. Yeah. I loved it. I really I loved it. Because if you don't start off strong in a four-player game, you're kind of be, you're left alone for a little bit. They're, people have got other targets. They've got other things to worry about, defending against the people who are starting strong. So you're allowed to build up. And then when you become a power, yeah, they might turn their focus to you. But generally, there's more of a balance. I felt there was more of a balance in a four-player game. So I bought it again, and then I played it with two players again. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to play this four players enough. So I gave it to Ronan. So yeah, I like it. It's a very clever game, but not for me because I think it's a bit fragile two-player
1: it's definitely more than a bit fragile two-player it's called the joust format you have to build <laughs> decks specifically to be two-player decks for it to be much fun mm. and there are specific cards actually that came in later on in the cycles which were just for two players so they had sort of joust or melee keywords which made you pull in more attackers or defenders and try and balance things up and things like that and yet to me you're right the two-player format was far too cutthroat and far too, oh, I'm just getting absolutely mullered here, and every character I put into play, you're ahead in warfare, you're going to kill it, there's nothing I can do, and it was a bit of a miserable experience, and they brought out that version, which was just called Game of Thrones, as opposed to A Game of Thrones, where it was a Lannister and a Stark deck to play each other, and yet, almost every game of that was a 15 nil shellac in one way or the other, because it's just an inherent thing in the game that it's ruthless and i guess if you want it to be a ruthless two-player game then fine but it's very ruthless very very, very rich, much more balanced at four player and that's where i've played most of my games of it and that's probably why i love it so so much and God, let's do it mate let's get my decks back out again let's get a couple of the uh the other fans of the game out. let's get rachel around the table let's play it a bit because oh man i love my number eight game a game of thrones living card game first edition you know I'd say it Sean second edition cool box waste of time absolute rip off fantasy flight games and they put me off ever getting into that cycle but there you go
0: okay my number eight is just been voted into our vault Ronan so I know that we've got you've got some love for this it's suburbia 2012 suburbia <laughs> oh dear has, has Aquasphere got a rival <laughs> suburbia <laughs> Designed by Tel Alsbach Al and from Bézier Games, you place tiles, you build your town up into a big city, you combine tile powers to bring in money and people, not much more to be said. It's a really interesting juggling act between bringing in residents and the cost of growth. I, like, I just love that that balancing act. Very simple mechanics. With the depth showing up in this in the gameplay and your decisions, that's always a good sign of a game that you can just get straight into it and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, there's way more than it looks. It's more thematic than it looked to me. As I said before, I, I looked at this game, walked away, thought it looked awful, but the, the theme really comes through as you're playing it. You've got that thing that you've created at the end. That's yours, your personal little triumph or disaster. Whatever way it goes for you. And it's one of those games that just leaves you discussing. Oh, you took that tile off of me. Oh, look at all oh, you put those two together. That was a really powerful combination. Just leave out the PR firm and the casino. Happy days. My number eight, Suburbia.
1: Definitely PR firm. Casino, I could be persuaded. Bribed into leaving it. But definitely PR firm. We talked about it in the vault episode a couple of episodes ago. So let's not go on too much. But you know, we both like it. It was my number 35. Really clever. Spatial aspect. Managing your economy. All the rest of it. If you haven't tried it, go and play Suburbia. It won't take that long. And I think you'll probably like it.
0: Yeah. It's a great game. It's in our vault. It must be a great game. So that's my number eight, Suburbia
1: sure we'll stick to that line shall we (laughs) so far we're doing pretty well okay my number seven from 2007 designed by Uwe rosenberg is agricola now we have discussed this at some length so i think we know what sean's gonna say about it to me it is Almost the best of worker placement games and I love worker placement games and it's incredibly tight and each game is varied. It has got that little bit of card management and combo thing going on, especially if you draft and you're that serious about it. It's a constant battle and challenge and to me because it's hard, it's very rewarding once I get things going in those last three or four rounds when the animals are stacking up and you're harvesting and you're using your oven and it's all rolling along, it's a very satisfying denouement after the hour or two struggle beforehand and i think it scales brilliantly i think it's going to be an all-time classic i i cannot praise agricola enough there's, there's not enough good words out there for it why wouldn't it be the very very top maybe because tiny bit headache and juicy maybe but it's my number seven game of all time it's agricola it's brilliant.
0: It's a great game. Banging on the same drum again, Ronan, but it's it's one of those when you first introduced it to me, you'd had you'd had a few games under your belt and you absolutely took me to the cleaners. It's it's one of those like You're
1: making me sound like a right old, not very nice person today, <laughs> aren't you? Well, you are. This this is true.
0: But either, right, but bro. we've had this we discussion. The the <laughs> we've had this discussion before because at London on board they've got uh, the Agricola competition going on, and they are they do really well in like the UK national competition for Agricola. And even you said yourself, like to go and play with them, it's another world. You're like I literally can't play with them because they're so good. So I think Agricola is that type of game. Maybe not exactly the same level. I mean, you can learn off people. But I think if you do get a complete shellacking, as you say, I think it can be a bit off-putting. But, yeah, fabulous game. I own it, and I really enjoy playing it.
1: Was it even in your top 50?
0: No. It's no, no. a shock it's a top 100 no, I don't think I've no, played it enough It's a serious admission. That's no no I, admission I, if I'd there. played it more I think there's a, bar- a slight barrier to entry because you have to relearn it all If you, it's one of those if you leave it a few months you have to come back relearn it and it, it can be a bit of pain to get back into but it's probably something I probably should do you've
1: probably invalidated your whole list probably in fact, in my eyes. yeah probably it's a shock my number 7 is Agricola and it should be on his top 50 <laughs>
0: Okay, my number seven is Letters from Whitechapel, 2011 release, Gabriel Mari, Gianluca Santopietro, coming from Nexus and Fantasy Flight. One player is Jack, the Ripper, the others are all being the police, and they're trying to hunt Jack down before he commits the, the famous Whitechapel murders. That's it. It's a hidden movement game where Jack's movements are completely hidden from the other players, and the police are basically trying to form a, a net to try and catch him. As a child, I was fascinated by Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. As a child, as well, like a young, a young, per- a young person, as right. a,
1: ch- a child is quite disturbing. He used to pull the <laughs> wings off flies as well. <laughs>
0: As a child, you don't understand the ins and outs of it, but I was, I was kind of like 10, 11. I was th- like, why did they never catch him? Is he still here? Is he going to jump out on me? And he fired me a little bit. And then that drove me to, to investigate him more as I grew up. And I just I just find the whole period around that just really interesting and how it's still a mystery today. I still watch those crummy uh, CSI dramas and stuff where they try and reveal the Ripper and always get pulled apart but not a a fan is the wrong word i'm I'm mildly obsessed with with the jack the Ripper period and in white
1: mildly obsessed is much less
0: (laughs) so this game is incredibly faithful to the historical facts i i like hidden movement games anyway I think, well, it's in my top 10. This, is the, this for me, is the best of all of them so far. It has created some of the most tense and exciting moments that I've had in gaming. I think it encourages loads of discussion around the table, creates that memorable moment, and the sense of achievement for those who have won, whether it's Jack who's managed to commit the fifth murder, get home to his hideout, and revel in his ghastly glory, or whether it's the police who've managed to to nip in st- stop Jack in his tracks and arrest him and finally solve the Whitechapel murders, then you've the sense of achievement for those is is, is, is palpable. You're like yes So that's why I love me a bit of letters from Whitechapel.
1: I think Letters from Whitechapel is a very good game. I enjoy it. I think it's quite telling that it's one of the simplest hidden movement games. Yeah. They don't give too much Jack gets a couple of special powers, but you know what they are for each night, yeah. so you know he's got like a lantern and a coach to use. So it allows enough freedom of options that Jack feels like he has a choice, and yet it limits down enough that the investigators aren't just running around in circles, going, well, will have no idea, have no idea, till we get lucky." They can put some thought and plan and, and make some sort of a net. I do enjoy it. I think it's probably a bit too long, and every now and then you can have the odd bad game where Jack just gets grabbed or that you have certain knights that are duds. So it's not a great game for me, but it is a very good game, and I do enjoy it, and I'll always be happy to play
0: a game with it. Yeah, I am the worst jack. In- <laughs> I always get cut on the first or the second go. Like I'm terrible. I think I must literally just hold out, this is where I'm going next. <laughs> <laughs> God, just okay. awful, awful.
1: Maybe it's this obsession you've got that you always wanted him to be
0: caught. Maybe, maybe. Catch me sleep again at night. We, it's me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that was my number seven, Letters from Whitechapel.
1: Okay, my number six is from 1997, designed by Rainer Knitzia. It is Tigris and Euphrates, another game that is inside our vault, so you know that we both like it a lot. It is loosely themed on warring kingdoms in the Fertile Crescent in ancient times. It's a Combative tile laying game with a very clever scoring system. In which by laying down tiles of four different colors and creating battles in those colors in set areas on the board, you're trying to collect cubes in all the colors. And whichever color you have the least in, that's your score for the whole game. Very it means you're very balanced. I mean, there's no chance you can just start dominating an area and go from there. It means that you're constantly looking at each other. Every tile down is both an attack and an opportunity for someone else. The board is clever with the two rivers on there, because only blue tiles can go in the water, but blue tiles can only go on the water, and it mixes it up. You can create a monument to give you a constant flow of points. However, those monuments then soon become targets. When you create a monument, there's fewer of that colour tile available, so... The money's become even more important because they're one of the few ways to score points for that color. There's so much going on. There's so much attacking. There's a lot to do with the hand management, the timing when to strike and when to lay low. You can kind of rush the game if you feel like you're up, but it's just we we're talking earlier about strategic depth. This has got it in absolute buckets, as well as having to be tactically very astute. And for quite a bland looking especially the original version. I know there's a reduced expensive newer version come out, but a kind of bland looking tile laying game, incredibly vicious and attacky and funny and crazy things happen you didn't expect. So that's Tigris and Euphrates, my number six.
0: Yeah, this was a, uh, I don't, just looking back, I don't think this make my top 50, but it was very close. Invalid. <laughs> Probably in my top 55. Three, three things. Obviously it doesn't play well two players it's a game in which can be very nasty and that's fine but if you add in with the nastiness a a random factor so i can randomly to a degree randomly get the upper hand and be nasty to you that i think is that slight frustration that pushes it outside my top 50 and i've been really picky because this is the best of the best and that's why it wasn't in my top 50
1: yeah, it's just invalid. I just decided I'm listening.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No Agricola, no Tigris and Euphrates. Seriously, what's going on? Get out of here. I've lost you. <laughs> You're just boring <laughs> me now. That's what you've got. A chuckle for me. just chuckling at my misery and pain. Anyway, my number six, a great game, Tigris and
0: Euphrates. Right, so my number six, in keeping with our vault theme that we seem to have uh, happened upon, is another one that's in our game pit vault. I suppose... They had to be in our top 10 because they're in our vault. (laughs) So this one is Dominion, a 2008 game from Donald X Vaccarino and Rio Grande Games. This is the grandpa and the inspiration for all those deck building, the slew of deck building games that are out there now. It is deck building as far as I'm concerned. This one set the standard for all the deck building games out there. There are so many combinations of cards that keep it fresh. Very quick flow to gameplay. No downtime. Player investment in every turn. Random draws. Keeps you on your toes and keeps the game fresh again. And it really doesn't outstay its welcome. A couple of cards, maybe the witch and etc. That make it a bit frustrating to play sometimes. But... They're very easily dealt with. Nope. That's we say. Nope. Change that. Done. Dominion is my number six.
1: I really don't have much to say about Dominion at this time, Sean, for no particular reason.
0: <laughs> no particular reason at all, no.
1: No, no, no reason at all. No. Very it's good. fine.
0: Okay, okay, so moving on. My number six was Dominion. And, alright, so we're going to have a brief interlude while we gather our (laughs) thoughts. And Ronan admonishes me a little bit more for not having Agricola and Tigris and Euphrates. And we'll be back in a short moment. It's the final challenge.
1: Welcome back we are into our top five games of all time each thank you for sticking with us and we're going to kick off with my number five it's a 2015 game from Matt Leacock and Rob Davio, and it's Pandemic Legacy Season 1 I have been banging on about this game I tried Risk Legacy did not get on with it very well Seafall I've swerved deftly after nothing but a barrage of abuse from all around me I tried Fable Fruit didn't love it that much Pandemic Legacy is the absolute standard at the moment for ongoing legacy campaigns. felt like every game counted. The fact that I love Base Pandemic helped in the first place. It gave me memorable gaming moments. It gave me a story with a real arc and real decisions. And characters that I actually started to care about after a while. And certainly a map that I cared about that was falling to pieces or recovering or doing this or doing that. It took me to the heights of narrative gameplay. Now, it's my number five game of all time. I played through the whole thing twice. I've got over 30 plays of it. Therefore, it is in my top probably 30 games as in terms of plays off. So people, the value thing or they're getting the value for money, it was worth every single penny to me. And I've been able to use the components in other games like I upgraded Aeon's End with the Yellow and Blue Cubes, for example, from last episode. But in and of itself, in terms of an overall packaged gaming experience, it would be hard to beat it. The only things that have beaten it and above it are on volume. But wow, Pandemic Legacy! And I'm so excited for season two. And you know that I'm going to be playing the hell out of that as soon as it's out.
0: Sean, yeah, and in my top fifty, it's a really good game, and it had has to be a really good game to make me actually enjoy Pandemic. We've had our discussions about that, Roman, before Yeah, I know, I know. More more invalidity
1: in your list. <laughs>
0: what are you saying i'm an invalid
1: yeah you, you will be after this
0: <laughs> it's a really exciting game the theme really comes through strongly cooperative play is excellent the the legacy really genuinely works and you feel that ramping up and that story evolving yeah it's a very strong choice Brandon.
1: thank you very much and super Super excited about season two coming soon. What? Oh, sure. What's your what? number five?
0: All right, here we go. Controversy number two. Yeah. I, know, I know you don't like this one, Ronan. It's Arkham Horror 2005. Richard Lorne, yes, Kevin Wilson.
1: Only number five.
0: What? There you go. I thought this was number one. Mm.
1: Wow, now, now I'm listening. <laughs> this is
0: exciting. And from Fantasy Flight, it's the cooperative game in lovecraftian arkham where you have to close gates to other worlds fight monsters investigate locations and try to defeat that ancient one so why do i like archivans well i think there's a there's a lot lot of looking back and thinking sort of doughy-eyed at this game because it was one of the first games that got me back into board gaming it's one of the things that i thought oh that exists? Oh, that's fantastic. It creates vivid and exciting story. It's Absolutely dripping in theme. And I'm all about the theme in games. This one, you feel like you're in 1920s, 30s Arkham. It looks beautiful. Yes, there's a huge investment in time. I think it's flawed, but brilliant. Flawed because... The rules over overlay is kind of what drags it down for a lot of people. And you do have to invest a lot of time, not only while playing the game, but before the game to just make sure you've got the rules down pat. But personally, I've never had a bad game of this. Every game has been exciting. Even if you get crushed, as in Lovecrafting games, you should be feeling you're getting crushed. And this one delivers that theme like no other game. It, it brings me into Lovecraft's world. That's why Arkham Horror is my number five. You're still in shock, aren't you? It's not number one.
1: A little bit. A little bit. I did not have to gather my thoughts there.
0: It was my number one for a long time.
1: So long. I can't believe it's four that I've gone ahead of it. Like if it was your number two, I'd be like, oh, oh, that's a mild surprise. But number five, goodness me. Right. Okay, gathering my thoughts. Arkham Horror. I, I do understand that the level of detail it goes to and the fact that it focuses it's, well, especially the base game more in on Arkham plus whatever else you may use with the sideboards I do understand that that provides something that Eldritch Horror doesn't oh, I almost said depth but it's not true more detail I think is really what I'm after but the rules overhead to me is not worth it and if I'm playing an adventure game the thing I always talk about the balance is I want to make some decisions but I don't want the mechanisms to get in the way of the story I want to make story-based, but real decisions that make an impact. And for me, with Arkham, the game was always getting in the way, and the exceptions were always getting in the way, and the feeliness was always getting in the way. So I didn't embrace the story at all, I did not get into it. So I think it's been blown absolutely out of the water by its younger brother, Eldritch Horror, and I think this is just a pure nostalgia picture one. So there you go. I'm not I, that
0: bad for you. No, no, not, not pure nostalgia. I do, when I do play it, I really enjoy it. It's actually Natalie's favorite, favorite of the two. She would much rather play Arkham than Eldritch, which is weird because as you said, Eldritch is very much more accessible, but yeah, it's it's my birthday and Christmas game. It's that one game I get out once or twice a year and, Invest. You have to put like a day aside to play this bad boy, but I, I really enjoy that day. I get all into it. I get all excited. I get a bit giddy when I think, "Oh, it's Arkham tomorrow!" And I, I just really love it. I, I lose myself in Lovecraft in Arkham.
1: I also have that game that's like once or twice a year, and it's more, one of my favourite themes, being Middle Earth Quest, mm-hmm. Tolkien, all the rest of it. And I absolutely adore getting out and having five or six hours of Middle Earth Quest. But I know it's not a top ten game. Not uh, even in my top fifty. It's just something that I have real fun with despite all its flaws.
0: Well, there you go. It's, it's horses maybe we're just horses. judging on different parameters. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're different. we different. Me people. the
1: correct ones, you the
0: incorrect you, ones. You the buffoonery. <laughs> me me going with genuine heart and feeling. <laughs>
1: really, <that laughs> is. You're the heart of the game pit, and I'm the what? The buffoon. The buffoon.
0: I think we'll go with the that. The moon yeah. boy
1: of the game pit.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you I... don't know what I've seen under the sea. You don't know. Don't talk to me about it.
0: Right. Uh, that was my number five, Arkham Horror.
1: My number four is 2008. Donald X. Vaccarino. Yeah, it's Dominion. Sean said as much as needs to be said. Really, I've mentioned all the way through that I really love looking for card combos. The fact that with Dominion, every game. You're looking to combat those cards in a slightly different way. Build your engine for 20 minutes, run it for 10 minutes, who wins? Great, let's go again. It is 20 minutes of engine building, 10 minutes of engine running. Let's see who wins. Track out nine new cards, 20 minutes of engine building, 10 minutes of engine running. And that's the difference. And it's something that we had a chat about over on the guild with, let's say, for example, I think it was with regards to Century Spice Road, where people were talking about it. And I said, "It's to me, that game is five minutes of engine building, 40 minutes of engine running. And I'm just like, I've built my engine. This is what I'm doing. Okay, who can do this thing? Let's get them in quick. In Dominion, it's the right level for me of... I'm actually making decisions. How much currency have I got in my hand? Okay, I'll grab that card because that will help balance on my deck. Is it time to start going for provinces and duchies and the rest of it? No, not massively deep decisions, but enough for a half-hour game that's constantly changing that I just find the system absolutely brilliant. It hasn't got any faff. It hasn't got more than one currency. It's not bothering you to, to worry about. And Also, the lineup. I hate, in most games, the lineup for a deck builder. Because it's like, oh, why limit me so much? Well, I'm getting done by the, the luck of the draw. In Dominion, it's all out there. It's your decisions that affect whether you're going to win. And I just absolutely adore Dominion. It's my number four game.
0: Wow. We almost agreed exactly on on a position for a game. It's got me a <laughs> it must be good. It must be good. Well, I've, I've said my piece on Dominion. Very good choice, Brandon. well done. Thanks. Thank you. And you. Well done. <laughs> well done. Well done. Pat on the back. <laughs> now, now, now I'm going to put my judgy hat back on. Yeah, what put what it I I right mean. back on. Put it right back on. Number four for me is Dungeon Command 2012 release designed by Chris Dupuy, Peter Lee, Kevin Tatro, and Rodney Thompson from Wizards of the Coast. This is a skirmish game set in the D&D universe using points to send units onto a map and into battle and you're issuing orders using a card system why do i like this one so much it just gives me that accessible skirmish feel i feel like i'm in control of these amazing monsters and this, each faction of them is really thematic there's no dice in this game and it feels almost like chess-like strategy and and tactics and when to put them in, where to put them in, how to, how to play them at their best. It looks amazing. All the miniatures are pre-painted. There's a really nice arc to this one and it's kind of an inbuilt catch-up mechanism almost. Because I've never had a game that didn't have a great crescendo when it was coming right down to the last kill. You kind of feel powerful in this game. You're unleashing monsters and dragons and umber hulks and all such. And on top of that, you can mix factions and bring in additional players. So it starts off as a two-player game and it's now been expanded so two, three and four players can even play. I really actually like it as a three-player game. So yeah, Dungeon Command is my number four.
1: Interesting. And maybe I could have seen that one coming. You do love it. I like it. It's probably a top 100 game. We haven't played it in an
0: age. Oh, we, we really haven't. Age. We really haven't. That needs to get
1: back out. I think we mention it like every two years on the game pit. And go, <laughs> we haven't played that in ages. Oh. It's a really good game. Really great. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's possibly, I'm trying to think why it wasn't higher up on my list. Possibly just because I've played each of those factions. There's five or six factions. I've probably played them twice each so i haven't really explored in and really dug into it it's got the card combo i like it's got a spatial aspect but for me to get the full like that monster does that and i can counter it with this and really dig into it which kind of because they did a lot of releases on top of each other which was great and yes you know slightly it held you back because you didn't get to learn a faction quite so much But just because we get all excited and we have to buy new things when they're available, which was a good job in this case because you don't see it around very much anymore. But after all that rambling, I don't feel like I've got the depth of knowledge to really pop it up high on my list, but it has all the promise to do that. And if we do get it out again regularly, it may well rise up my rankings. And I think it's a good choice.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those. uh, It's kind of famous for being infamous it's just not not clicked with so a lot of people a lot of people when you say oh, i really like dungeon command they don't know what you're talking about i don't know whether it was straddling two worlds whether it was straddling the miniatures and the board game and the dnd worlds i don't know but it just never quite clicked with the general populace of the gaming world but for me it did and that's why it's my number four dungeon command
1: Okay, My number 3 from 2010, designed by James Ernest and Mike Slinker, is Lords of Vegas. Very much a personal pick, I know, I know not everyone loves it, I know it's possible that especially if you don't have a group that's all engaged, willing to take risks, willing to trade but smartly, willing to just give it a go and realise you can lose on the draw of a card or the roll of a dice, it's a game about Vegas, but for stand-up dice rolls, for interaction, for being mean to each other, for pulling off the unlikely out of your hat only to get stamped down by everyone else. It is 90 minutes of pure fun. And you get better at it. And there's things to learn. And every game is different. And you have to adapt to every single pull of a card that gives someone a, a plot of land. Because now your plot of land that was worth 10 million to someone is worth nothing because someone else pulled out one next to it and they're just going to build in there and you have to work with each other to sprawl and to change colors and color tiles for the casinos are only fine there's only nine of each so it's possible to block people by grabbing them and say sure 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 yeah yeah i will do (laughs) i will change the color of my casino you just gotta give me 30 million to do it no problem then you can have those tiles ah no uh." brilliant dealing wheeling Stabbing each other in the back, taking risks, fantastic Vegas game, very much this high up for me because I have a great game group that we play it with, and we all absolutely adore it, so I've just got many, many, many memorable games off it. Sean, you knew this had to be here, you knew it did, Lords of Vegas.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, it's, it's a game I very much enjoyed, I I think I was put off by just a couple of experiences I had while playing it. People that took it really personal and kinda got angry at players, including me, for for doing certain things that upset them, but I think it was a bit too mean for someone. Given the way you've been
1: treating me this episode, can we just clarify whether that was me or not?
0: (laughs) It wasn't you. No, it wasn't you. No, 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 you you don't mind being stabbed in the back. You just stabbed twice as hard back in the other direction. That's fine. Now, there's a couple of people who just took it really personal when you don't sort of support their bid and you go against them to help somebody else, even though that's the best thing for you.
1: It is very group
0: dependent. Yeah, it is definitely. And I had a couple of bad experiences with it and it kind of took the shine off it a little bit, but it's still a really good game that I enjoy.
1: Yeah, so that's Lords of Vegas, my dice rolling, slightly chaotic, nice and mean, but very funny number three. Sean, you're three.
0: Right, here it is, the ultimate, as I found out recently, and controversy. My number three oh, no, <laughs> is it really? Yeah. <laughs> My number three, three is Fireflies, the twenty thirteen release from Aaron Dill, John Kovaleski and Sean Swagert. The recently departed Sean Swaggert to rest in peace. It comes from Gale Force Nine. This is a pick up and deliver in the Firefly universe. You're going to hire crew, you're going to ferry goods and take on legal and illegal jobs to earn money, and you've got to watch out for those authorities and the Reavers, otherwise they'll eat all your crew,
1: as Ronan found out. Or my crew, specifically.
0: Or your specific crew. (laughs) (laughs) Every time we play. Uh, Quite incidental to this. I had Chris Marling from Go Play Listen come around for a games weekend of mine last weekend as I record this, and... He spotted Firefly on my shelf, and he went into a bit of a trade about it, and he explained all the things he absolutely detested about it, and we kind of got into it a little bit. I, I accused him of just not being able to have any fun. He told me he was an idiot, and we <laughs> we moved on from there. It really is I think the most Marmite game. I think some people have come out and gone, yeah, you're absolutely right. People I really love thematic games have come out, you're absolutely right, it's the worst game I've ever played. And some people have come out and gone, no, you're right, it's the best game I've ever played. What the hell is wrong with you people? For me, obviously, it's my number three game of all time. I think it captures the world fantastically. I think it's amazing fun. It's in a, a dead heat probably with my number one game for like the most fun and funny moments I've ever had in board games. Loads of hilarious stories come out of this game every time it's played. It's not mechanically perfect by any any stretch, but it does what I want to do. It immerses me in the Firefly universe. I get to just chill out, have fun. I f- think that when things go terribly wrong, that is incredibly thematic because it often goes wrong for mal and the crew in serenity and that's part of the the appeal for me with this one as, as ronan said he mentioned that he put together an amazing crew and he was boasting about his amazing crew and they all got chomped literally eaten by Reavers. the rest of the table he's, yeah, he's still upset about that. <laughs> the rest of the table literally had to we had to stop playing for 10 minutes while we laughed
1: particularly no, no you stopped for five minutes while you laughed when they did the first stack and ate half my crew there. and the fact the very next round the same card got true from a deck of 50 cards on my turn and they, the other half of the crew is when we had to have the 10 minute break so it's 15 minutes
0: of laughing don't understand yourself so, to some I'm people, weeped,
1: and, you know, up my tears with my crew
0: <laughs> see now I get it I, I genuinely get it I, to some people that is just not acceptable and 99 times out of 100 it is not acceptable to me that I'd be sitting there going, like, what, what, but that that's not fair. It's just not fair. This game, I don't know what it is, it makes it funny. And that's why I love Firefly.
1: Okay, my turn to weigh in on the uh, raging debate that's been tearing Twitter apart. <laughs> <laughs> this, to me, is alongside Middle-Earth Quest with a game that, if I feel like having a drink having a chill, eating some snacks and going, I love Firefly. I love the world. Sure, I'm going to hop in my little spaceship. I'm going to fly around around the galaxy. I, I'm nothing. I am a leaf on the wind and wherever the wind blows me, that's where I'm going to go. And sometimes... The Alliance are going to grab me, and sometimes the Reavers might turn up, and I might find an amazing gun that will help me for the mission I've got to do, or I might not. I might have to try and get by the seat of my pants, and that's what I feel like I'm doing. I am one small spaceship in a very big galaxy that's just getting kicked around the place, getting pillar to post and rolling with the blows, and trying to make a living and earn a crust and scrape along. And if I get lucky and hit a big jackpot, great, I'll win the game. And if I don't, that's okay too, because maybe i've just managed to get jane into my crew and that's cool i'll start acting like jane's in my crew (laughs) and maybe i do put together a wonderful crew of strong female fantastic characters who all get eaten which is very traumatic to me but okay cool that can happen too so it's there i really do enjoy it when i play it i have to be in the mood i have to be aware that Well, you'd say for most people there's a chance you're going to have a terrible game. For me, I will have a terrible game. The chance doesn't come into it. Uh, But that's what it's for. That's what the game is. And so cool. You know, it's a good game. Is it in my top 50? No. Is it in my top 100? Probably not. Is it a fun game that sometimes Sean will say, Oh, do you fancy Firefly? And I'll go brilliant exactly the perfect game for this moment i'm tired you know i'm chill i just want to chill whatever it might be we can sit here and chat while we flip over a card decide what we buy and relax it, it is a good game for what it is but if you're expecting some sort of strategic depth or or major decisions that's not here but uh number number
0: three all of all time
1: oh i think that's a bit of a stretch right but i can see where you're coming from i can see where you're coming from
0: i listen I got back into gaming to have fun. if I don't put the one of the games that given me the most fun in my top ten. Then I've, I'm kind of lying to myself because I. This- traitor to yourself. Tra- <laughs> well, that's all right. So, this way
1: around, you're just a traitor to gaming because you haven't got a record on Tiger <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I
0: fine. couldn't give
1: a straight face when I said
0: it. <laughs> I'm true to myself, but I'm a traitor to gaming. That's fine. That's fine. I'll live it. But just to, to round up, Chris, you are absolutely right. It is a oh. complete <laughs> bull. It's complete bull. The, the, the mechanics are just not good enough for any other game. But in this one, I love it. So that's why it's my number three. That's Firefly.
1: Lads, let's not have any more Twitter rounds about this. Let's just move on. Someone loves it. Someone hates it. Never the twain shall
0: meet.
1: (laughs) I'm sure that'll keep everything calm. (laughs) So my number two game of all time from 2011. It is designed by Adam Rebataro, Christopher Padell, and Paul Bender it is sentinels of the multiverse the game in which you're playing as individual heroes in a team of three to five against one big enemy in a certain environment and your deck is set for your hero we have a hand of cards and you're playing down powers or allies, or augmenting each other, or if you're magic casting a spell, or if you're a robot pulling out a gun, or if you're an alien using your DNA, or if you're super fast flicking through your deck quickly, wherever it might be, you know that will be thematic for whatever hero you are. And whoever the enemy is, they will have a thematic set of cards coming out to punch you in the face. If they're a time-travelling pirate captain, their ship will keep appearing out of the ether and you'll have to keep beating it down. If they're a megalomaniac robot, they're going to send out loads of drones to attack you. If they're four Egyptian-based villains, they're going to work together in a team to come against you. It's so varied. Every game is its own puzzle and yet even with the same card set up, And the same characters against the same villain in the same environment. Cards will come out at different times and you'll have to put together different ways of getting around the challenge every time. And every round when you do the environment turn, then the villain turn, the heroes then have to sit there and go. These are resources available to us. These are the problems we face. These are the cards we have in hand. What's our plan? It's no good playing going, I'm just going to put this down. I'm just going to put that down. I'm just going to put this down. I'm doing my own little character. The game doesn't work like that you're a superhero team who has got the ability to do damage how much damage do you think we can do shall we concentrate five fire on that thing or should we put seven on there or maybe if you've got to you want to do an attack okay cool so if you're going to attack or maybe i'll build something up or i'll put an immunity in or i'll deal with this environmental problem it's all of us discussing all of us chatting about what cards we've got, all of us saying what our priorities are and then making a plan, executing it and moving on to the next challenge. And every game is different. And I love putting different combos of cards together and working it out and seeing what we can do. And it's now massive and it takes up like three boxes and I've got the big, huge special Aeon's End coming soon. And I know this is another Marmite game. And I know that Sean's not the biggest fan of it. And I still insist that he should love it, but he doesn't. But for me, I am closing in on a hundred plays of Sentinels of the Multiverse. And I'm not in any way getting bored of it. And I continue to play it again and again and again. And the system has evolved. And there's more difficult heroes. And there's still literally billions of combos. I will never play of it. And I love it. And it's such a good game. And it's my number two of all time, and it is Sentinels of the Multiverse.
0: We've talked about it, Ronan. I'm not the biggest fan, but I'm not here to piddle on your parade. I'm I'm happy that you enjoy it. I didn't get what I sh- thought I should have got out of the game. I was really excited. It sounded like it should be my game, one of my best games ever. You still believe it should be one of my favourite games ever? Well, I think we've agreed to disagree with this one because it just doesn't hold the allure that it does for you but that's cool because you're still enjoying it and that, I'm happy if you're happy
1: there's a new version coming out based on the green Ronin RPG heroes I think it's called Mutants and Masterminds mm-hmm. so I think I'm going to lie to you and pretend it's a different game <laughs> <laughs> and just play I oh, no it's Mutants and yeah. Masterminds it's not Sentinels of the Multiverse. no it's Sentinels of Pr- uh, Prime or something like that it's called I've got it coming so
0: you're obviously it's <gasps> obviously a different game you've told me now so, obviously, you're relying on on my famous, cruddy memory.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty
0: safe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ronan, right we're going to go on to my number two now, and that is Eclipse, the 2011 release from... Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Mm, there you go. The lotaplet.fi 2-6 to six players, designed by Tuko Tuck oh hello
1: yeah, smoothly done
0: that smoothly was smooth. yeah yeah i'm spot on there i'm sure it's another game that i have banged on about and it comes no surprise to ronan i'm sure maybe maybe the it's not my number two but it's definitely going to be in my top 10 always it's a 4x game that meets the euro economic game genre as you build your economy your fleet and your resources before exploring space and doing battle. Why do I like Eclipse so much? Well, I've already talked about you Arkham horrors of the world that kind of brought me into the gaming hobby because I really enjoy the thematic experience of games. Now, what this one does, I found all about all these Euro games once I got into it and I started getting into the Euro game side of things. This, for me is the best blend of both of those types of games it's that mix of euro and thematic i hadn't seen anything like it before and it all for my mind fits in together absolutely seamlessly i feel like i'm in space i also think i'm playing a really tight euro game lots of strategies to explore I think there's loads of replayability with the random upgrade draw, the random tile placement, the different player powers. I think it's a deep and thinky game with interaction, with excitement, and with reward. And that is why Eclipse is my number two game, Ronan.
1: Three years ago, this would have been in my top ten. And it kind of feels a bit funny. It feels like I'm almost retrofitting it in some way, but... The app came out, if you've listened before, you know I've got slight problems with apps of board games. And it was widely played enough to the point where enough people discovered that strategy with your glass cannons and your hyped up smaller ships that it is very difficult to get a game of Eclipse that hasn't been affected by the app. and It's very difficult to get a game where people aren't now following the same path to try and get to, the, to this easiest way of winning, which has knocked it down for me. Because it's gone from what I saw was something that was wide open and whatever technologies were available, you choose your own path and go your own way, to a bit of a race to get there. And because of limited technology tiles, if you miss out on the technology, then you certainly feel like you're on a back foot. It feels harsh because I love the game. It's my number 33, so clearly I still think very highly off it. It's gone from the very top tier because my gaming experiences off it have gone downhill since the app came out but it is a fantastic game sean
0: now that i know of the existence of this uh, like like surefire well surefire ish path to victory yeah it might, it might take a little bit of shine but the expansions have gone some way to eradicating that i think you could probably do a bit of house ruling maybe limit the amount of cannons etc that, that
1: so is. if you have to house rule it is it a top 10 game
0: yes with the because i hadn't
1: obviously you think yes it's your number two it was a rhetorical question
0: (laughs) yes with the expansions in yes because i hadn't had that game yet i still love it as it's my number two of course i do i just love the theater of the game flipping over those tiles what's going to come next like that tight economy within the game absolutely brain burning but so rewarding i love it eclipse is just one of those games that i i get excited about playing and then i get stressed while i'm playing it and then i'm thinking ah that was such a good game afterwards that was my number two eclipse
1: so we're on to our number ones the greatest games of all time and my choice is dominant species this is a twenty. 10 game from gmt and designed by chad jensen players take the role of different species up to six of them on a world in which an ice cap is slowly encroaching and they have been living in almost perfect harmony and balance in terms of what foods there are to eat on different terrains but the encroaching ice caps force them to move and start spreading out and exploring more of the world and discovering new food sources and adapting to their environment and very much fighting each other as they do so it's based around whether you want to call it action selection or workplace wherever, you have action pawns they go on to the right hand side of the board where there are various actions listed don't take the action at the time once everyone's placed all their action pawns you resolve them top to bottom and they allow you like i said to spread out or fight each other or get more cubes on the board because cubes represent yourself and you're constantly battling on two different fronts you want to have the majority of cubes in spaces because they will score you most points and there's Various terrains or score different amounts of points. Seas are the best, deserts not so great. But also, you're looking to adapt to the foodstuffs that are around there. And in doing so, that will give you endgame scoring. But it will also give you access to very powerful cards each round. And they can be massively devastating to you. They can clear all the species, all the cubes of one tile, or they can take away food sources with blight. And it's certainly a game in which you want to get to know what cards are in there it can feel like there's too much going on and it can feel overwhelming in your first play or two. Every game's different but there's a pattern to the game and the cards are always the same from the fixed deck. You have to go all the way through it in order to finish the game. There's definitely a pattern to the game that emerges and you can start reading what's going on and how the ball's developing, where the opportunities are and there always seems to be five or six different things you can do. And it's down to you what to prioritise and where to go. And it's very self-balancing with massive amounts of interaction between each other. It's just, it's perfect, Sean. It is my perfect game. It has been my number one game since 2010. And I can't see it getting dislodged anytime soon.
0: I still only played the one time, Ronin, and... We don't, we, yeah. we don't talk about that game. We don't talk game of it. <laughs> we, we do, because <laughs> it's all I've got to judge it on. <laughs> but we hearken back to the days that we did spend six hours playing... Uh, uh, that was generous. I'll take six hours. Yeah, yeah. And basically had to put timers on players that were being slow, and it, it all kind of descended into a bit of a trudge. Now... The fact that I've actually subsequently gone out and bought the game again. I have it, I still haven't managed to get it to the table because it's a bit of a learning curve when she's starting afresh again. But the fact that I've gone out and done that shows that there is something. There was something there. I saw something within the mechanisms of that game. A really deep and interesting take on sort of worker placement area control. And something that I am determined to give a second chance to, because my first chance was was very disappointing. But it's there. There is something there. Ronan goes on about dominant species constantly, so there must be something to it. So I'm definitely going to give it a go. Now, one thing I've got a question for you: is, You have now played this, however many times you've played it, countless number of times. Would Can I you be count able to twenty to three? <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: In which case, countless.
0: <laughs> I've only got ten fingers and ten toes. Tens and units have clearly gone past you. Right, okay, carry on. Can I play this with you, or is it gonna be too much for me to just get rinsed by you or am I gonna learn from you? I
1: love this. I'm gonna pull back the curtain on the on the Hollywood of the game bit here. We had this conversation last week, didn't we? We did. <laughs> I guess it was interesting enough to be on the show so I was talking to Sean about Dominic Species and we usually get a game in at LobsterCon coming up and there's players there who have all played it and it's fantastic because when we're playing on a normal game in the evening let's say at London on board we take out a few of the cards that add action pawns and make the game longer and just by taking the cards out you make it a round shorter and you can easily fill it in in two two and a half hours but it does feel like a lesson version however when we get to LobsterCon everyone's played it before we can play a full game in two and a half hours as opposed to the seven or so that it took us on our first game, sure. And Sean was saying he would never join in a game with those guys because he'd get absolutely hosed. To me, though, the game kind of self-balances. You were worried about playing Tammany Hall. Is another game we were talking about in this top 50 list because you felt like you're going to get hosed because we'd all played it you know, a dozen times, two dozen times, whatever it might be. And you ended up winning your first game of Tammany Hall. And Dominant Species has got a bit of that in it, in that it does self-balance. And if you're not doing so well, why would I pick on you? And also, in fact, you can get wiped off the board, something Edward was talking about in Heavy Cardboard the other day when they reviewed Dominant Species, that you can get wiped off the board and come back and you're more adaptable than you think you are each species starts with strength in a certain area so let's say especially amphibians are good where there's water available but water can be available anywhere via the actions and you can put water in play and you can expand and in new territory if you if there's a right draw put water in there and then suddenly you're strong on the other side of the board you're not limited to where you are so it's very hard to get picked on and there's no reason for the other players to pick on someone who's lagging behind the biggest disadvantage is not knowing the cards so when we do play and there are people that have played fewer games the four or five really crucial cards come out like mass migration and blight and catastrophe we point out what they do as they come out and we say look this card is hugely important this can do this that or the other and also then if i were to choose blight for example if i could see someone was struggling why would i play it on them that is, yeah, no one's having fun that way. I, I want to be playing against three other players. I want to be playing against all five other players. So I think our group is sensible enough and not sharky enough that you could enjoy it with us. But obviously I'm biased because I want you to play it more.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. And of course, the burning question. Another thing we've actually discussed. One more argued about early editions versus later <laughs> editions. <laughs> You're mad. You're absolutely <laughs> mad. Those early editions are horrifically boring and beige. They're not. They So, so there are. was a
1: graphical change between, <laughs> how was it, the second printing and the third printing or something like that. And one of them is more pastely and subdued in the background colours. But the cubes and everything are still the same. And that's what I'm looking at. Like the background colour is, yeah, it's, it, it scores you points and you need to be aware of it. But you just need to be aware of it. It's the cubes and the cones that show dominance adaptation that you need to be aware of. And it makes it easier for me to see what I need to see. So, OK, that, I'm looking at cubes. I don't care about the background and the nice. and Oh, there's a little picture for fish. I don't care. Not interested. So I prefer the original version, but the original version is very close to my heart as well. So I'm aware that there might be some emotional response there. I, I will play on the later edition. I prefer to play on the earlier one.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Maybe You're going to
1: abuse la- me, aren't You, you just...
0: No, no, I just think you're an idiot. But other than that, <laughs> oh, that wasn't abuse. No, no. Other than that, maybe it's my way of getting over that first game. Maybe if I if I try and separate that game by having a, a different board, that that's the way I get through it.
1: No, this isn't dominant species. This is dominating species.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, my number one game of all time. I think it's fantastic. If you haven't played it, find someone who's sensible to teach you, who's not just there to rinse you and then and ha- away with the fairies themselves. It's Dominant Species, just such a brilliant game. Sean, your number one game of all time. I think I've worked out what it is, unless you're going to shock me.
0: I don't think I'm going to shock you, Rodan. I, I think the shock came with Arkham Horror being at number five, Rodan.
1: I that, that was the shock. Which yeah, leads
0: was the into... shock, which leads us into Eldritch Horror being my number Ooh. one game of all time. I know I'm on you've fairly safe have seen the light, Lord, you've seen have seen the light. I have. I have seen that light. 2013 release uh, by Corey Konichka and Nikki Valens coming from Fantasy Flight. Eldritch Horror. So no point explaining it because Eldritch Horror is a streamlined version of Arkham Horror. Set in a world setting rather than just in Arkham itself. And it's kind of grabbed hold of the best of all the Arkham Horror expansions and sort of crowbarred them into a, a streamlined version, it ups the fun factor massively. Talked about Firefly having those really fun moments and hilarious moments. This one has that times two. This is probably the most fun game that I've ever played. And maybe that's the people. Maybe that's the drink flowing. I don't know. This game is story weaving at its absolute finest. We still talk about the time when Chris Merlin was eaten twice by the same dog. His nickname is now Pedigree Chump. No other game is gonna is gonna come up with stories like that. I think it's an amazing social game with role playing aspects. I think there's something that you want to be part of. You you want to be part of that eSpawn Eldritch Horror game. People look forward to it. People talk about it, the hours and days leading up to it. It's made what was my favorite game of all time, Arkham Horror, a game that I can now enjoy with more people. Ronan wasn't a big fan of Arkham Horror. I was desperate for him to see what I saw in Arkham Horror. Eldritch Horror came around and now he sees in Eldritch Horror what I saw in Arkham. The variety in this game is endless. It's quite. It's really funny how sometimes the story and the cards just match up together. I could go on forever, rather than Eldritch Horror, my number one game of all time.
1: Wow, I just spoke about it this episode as my number nine game of all time. Does this make this the Game Pit's favourite game of all time?
0: I think it probably does. Wow! <laughs>
1: we claim to be a in-depth reviewing podcast to like sort of medium to heavy games most of the time and this is what we chose role play your character be a bit silly read the stories of the cards laugh about them roll some dice and see what happens
0: ronan yeah
1: (laughs) how did this happen i don't know I mean, the expansions still keep on coming, which means in every, especially in the big box expansions, you get cards for all the decks, so you get a bit of variety to everything, as well as there being something sort of themed and tight to there. We know that Masks of Nyarlathotep... I said that well, didn't I? Anyway, whatever... Spot on. (laughs) That is going to be the next big box expansion for Felge It's on its way. Super excited, as Sean said, it's a biannual Eastbourne tradition we've had a few drinks on Saturday nights play Eldritch Horror and just laugh and laugh and people come and actually watch the game and join in and, and have the crack with us but we, we play it sober as well and play it during the year and it's still fun and it's just brilliant and I agree with you and I'm so happy that you've seen the light with regards to Eldritch Horror it's, I know you always liked it it's just it oh, one of the most fun games great choice
0: yes it was just one of those things i just couldn't deny anymore i think i was clinging onto arkham horror just <laughs> just because it, it was my game it was my thing I,
1: I remember i was having fair not drunk but i had a couple of beer conversations in which i was like pleading with you to be like but sean it just is better it, it <laughs> has everything off it with a load of the rubbish cut out
0: i think yeah i think what swung it was the fact that i could get more people involved. You get a couple of hardcore fans of Arkham Horror, and you'd have to put a whole day aside. Even then, sometimes some of it would be a slog. But this one, you can pick. You can cherry pick anybody. Euro gamers, anyone—they will just get swept along in the, just in the in the mental fun.
1: There's almost zero teaching as well.
0: Yeah, you just almost. get off. You just get. You just go. Someone knows the rules; they will happily guide you while you learn, sort of thing.
1: It's yeah, and that's that's one of the most fantastic things is you have a couple of actions. The action is only six or seven actions you can take, and they're all very simple. And the game is all in the cards. So wherever you are, you're going to draw that card. There may be a choice. There's a monster you have to fight. It. We'll explain combat when we get there. Don't worry. Just this part of the role playing thing you're talking about. There's role playing in that there is character progression, but from our role playing episode, role players see role playing more as the role playing part of it. It's playing a character play a character you know look read your back see who you are what do you think your character would do cool go ahead and do it because the first two or three rounds usually you haven't got a very hugely clear idea of what your strategy is going to be you've got a mystery you have to do but you might have to wait for some clues to come out you might have to wait to get hold of an artifact so it's just do what you need to do hopefully you'll get a spell hopefully you'll improve a bit we'll try and keep on top of these gates that's something you could do if you're feeling confident. And once the game has built three or four rounds in, then we need to start really having a bit of a plan as a team. And the new players will know how to play it. So, so it's got its own almost introduction in, to the system, which works really well. Anyway, we've been banging on about Eldritch Horror forever. Great choice, Sean.
0: Right. My number one choice is Eldritch Horror. I've got a motion rolling. I think this one should go in the vault.
1: do you know what I was just thinking when you said it wow if anyone ever chooses this we know what's going to go in there you think we're just going to make an ad hoc out of I our think, top 50, yeah. yeah, you're motioning it. Yeah. Have we got to pass it by the committee? Should we get them all here?
0: <laughs> I think they are here. So All right, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll second your motion.
0: There's no cool. abstainence. Right, there screen. we go. Okay. Eldritch Tower is now entered into the game pit vault of all things brilliant in game.
1: Wow, you know... You've now created a mission whereby I have to make you play Dominant Species enough
0: so that it creeps into your top ten
1: so that I can get that in the fold. Or, choose someone as our next guest that I know likes it and then argue the bejesus out of you to get it in. Oh, look. We have our next guest lined up, by the way, and uh, it's it's Adam who's been on the show a few times this year. He He's just desperate to get on there, so we're like, yeah, cool, if you want to, no problem. Sometime, November, December time, he's going to come in and do a vault episode. I've oh, got God. his five,
0: Sean. Pax, I'm... Pax, Pax Bortiana, <laughs> Pax Pamir.
1: <laughs> there is a Pax game in his five.
0: I was spoilers. no doubt.
1: That's probably not going to make the fall, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident which one is going to. Be. But there's no spoilers now. No spoilers now. When you hear his five, I'm sure listeners might remember back to his top 15. And go, well, yeah, it's fairly obvious. But anyway, carry on, carry on. We're talking about Eldritch Horror right now
0: as I said Eldritch Horror not only my number one game of all time it is now part of the Game Pit Vault of Excellence and we will see you after this short interlude
1: so ladies and gentlemen we have finally made it to the end of our top 50 we hope you've enjoyed this series it's not something we're going to repeat again probably for another five years so enjoy it bask in the sea of fantastic games we've presented for you or shout at your podcast playing device for the nonsense we've been spewing into your ears over the past few months but either way Thank you for being here with us.
0: I think it's it's more going to be the latter, I think. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of people saying, you pair of clouts.
1: Yeah, I do like that We most of our uh, emails and stuff we get from people say, hi guys, I either do or do not like the show, but I really more tend to agree with Sean, or I really tend to more agree with Ronan. Like, There's a clear dividing line in our <laughs> listenership <laughs> I like to think that the Ron supporters are more sophisticated and discerning,
0: but you know, uh, that just, that keeps me I think on. Yeah, it's obvious that the Sean supporters just like like gaming, mm. not mindless mm. mechanisms.
1: Really? Yeah, That's the way yeah, it goes, is it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you can be mean <laughs> I was just nice about your number one and I let you put it in the voice.
0: Yeah <laughs> Gaming that you hate normally.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not that fast. I don't certainly have never begged you to play it. We talking about. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you very much everyone upcoming and in quick order we have got the start of our treasure hunts for spiel 2017 we are going to be going (laughs) we're going to be doing a few dozen games for you in previews again as ever games we haven't played yet for the most part but just what we're looking at what we think of certain releases that are coming out and we tend to try and cover some of the big releases and some of the more obscure ones so if you're looking for what games hopefully this will give you an idea we cannot cover 950 that's not possible but we'll get through a subsection of them for you that is going to be coming out very shortly on the heels of here and uh, we also have six reviews and a picking over the bones episode that's going to break those up so it's not just endless Essen previews and then as we've been going on about from Essen, we'll be firing out a few Shows, live from the show, Sean. A lot of shows in that sentence.
0: Yeah, and you're actually going to be dabbling in some video for us, Ronan really.
1: Yeah, well, I won't be. You might see my hands. I'm going to do the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's the, the term for them? Where you only see someone's hands, and they're not very attractive hands either. They've got pudgy chip a of fingers. But anyway, you'll see my hands. We're doing something called Pit Stops, and we're both going to be doing them, but it's two or three-minute overview videos of games because sometimes, especially around conventions, I just want an idea of what the game's about to see if I want to look deeper into it. And it's something that we might try and do from the halls of conventions as we go on and get a bit better at it. So, from the table, a quick camera, me talking, this is an overview, this is how it works, this is the idea. And then, if you like the idea of that, you can go on and look deeper in, or we'll be covering it in the podcast, whatever you might do. So, they're going to be coming out on Twitter and on youtube starting from this week if you fancy it go to our channel our channel at the moment has only got a few of our podcasts on there because we just set it up for that and our podcasts run through it but if you do want to subscribe and have a look at just my hands pointing out we're going to do flip ships as the first one which is also going to be in our review show coming and it's just me in two or three minutes explaining how flip ships works maybe flipping a few ships really badly Eh, you know if that sounds interesting to you by all means, go over and have a look.
0: And he, he means really badly. Like, terribly.
1: Oh, God. Am I bad at that game? Oh, uh, my goodness.
0: I've... It's
1: embarrassing. Sean's <laughs> just showing off because in our first game, we had 28 flips to hit the mothership four times. I got zero. Let's go start with that. And on the 28th flip, he pulled it out Hollywood style. It almost went slow motion, twinkling through the air, ship, and landed in there and saved the day. It was, it was epic. Boom!
0: It. It was good. Ship shot. There's
1: <laughs> a bit of jumping around and high-fiving what? for that business. Well done. Thanks.
0: And very quickly, before we do our, our final outro, we are going to be on the Dice Tower booth in Essen to so come and see us there we'll, we'll be talking more about that in our Essen shows but just wanted to give you a heads up that we will be there so as always. We'll be
1: wandering around in Game Pit t-shirts
0: as well yes. Oh yes and we'll be wearing Three of us. our Game Pit t-shirts it'll be myself and Ronan and Ronan's eldest daughter Eleanor so as always we always say we're very friendly we are more than happy to stand around and have a chat if you if you see us wandering the halls or on the dice tower booth and as always we are proud members of the dice tower network go there and to the dice tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you want to talk to us or ask us a question you can email us at game at gmail.com or on our Board Game Geek Guild. So you just look for the Game Pit on the Guild section and pop along there and ask us a question. We're on social media. We have a Facebook page. We are on Instagram. And we are on Twitter, at Game Pit Podcast. If you wish to download the episodes, we are on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And, as Ronan just mentioned, we do have a YouTube channel that we hope to utilise a bit more frequently in the very near future thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time music Video Boy. Video Boy. Bye, Casano Boy. That was scary.